0: Support comes from the City of Elgin, celebrating St. Patrick's Day with a sip, shop, and stroll event in downtown Elgin, including a farmer's market, extended store hours, kids' activities, and refreshments. 19 miles east of Austin on Highway 290. More at ElginTexas.gov.
1: From KUT and KUTX Studios.
0: hello and welcome to this song the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives i'm your host elizabeth mcqueen and in this episode of this song we'll talk to john doe and jeff klein two artists who both told me about songs that helped them see that there was a world behind the shine of mainstream america a world they wanted to know more about let's get started with john doe he's a singer And a songwriter, he co-fronts the L.A. punk band X with Exine Cervenga, and he's an actor. You may have seen him in movies like Roadhouse or on TV shows like Roswell, and now he's an author. He just released a book called Under the Big Black Sun, which chronicles the L.A. punk scene in the late 70s and early 80s. It's a very cool concept. John Doe reached out to the people who were there and asked them to write chapters. So you have folks like Henry Rollins from Black Flag or Jane Weedland and Charlotte Caffey from the Go-Go's or Robert Lopez, a.k.a. Elvez, the Mexican Elvis, and a ton of other people talking about their perspectives on what that time was like. John Doe was in Austin for South by Southwest, the massive behemoth festival that takes over our fair city for a couple of weeks every March. I mean, there's music and parties, like, everywhere. And the radio station where we make this podcast, KUTX, well, we threw a party, an early morning party at the Four Seasons, which was super fun. And John Doe played that party and totally destroyed the crowd at, like... Nine in the morning. He was so good. Afterwards, we sat down in the green room slash ballroom, and he told me about a song he heard as a kid that showed him that the world could be weird and dark. So here he is, John Doe. Uh,
1: So when I was young, which was in the 60s, late 50s and 60s, Somebody decided that folk music was a good thing for kids because it was simple. And what they didn't really account for is that it was political and it was full of images and it was all about the devil and, and uh, you know, people cheating and, and people shooting each other and, and all kinds of, you know, bad behavior. And, um, and the three people that I remember uh, was, well, of course, Pete Seeger.
2: I had a rooster and the
1: rooster pleased me. I fed my rooster on a greenberry tree. And uh, Cisco Houston. Peas, porridge hot, peas, porridge cold, peas, porridge in the pot nine days old. And Lead Belly, he scared the hell out of me. And uh, and there was a song that he did called Gray Goose. Lord, Lord, Lord
0: the gun went off the of Lord, 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 God come the gray goose. Lord, 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 he was sick with good morning. Lord, 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 he was sick
1: and it's, uh, it's just a story about, a, it's kind of a funny story about a preacher who shoots a goose and they bring him home and they cook him and they cook him, they cook him for six weeks and when they take him out, a, a, a fork can't stick him and a knife can't cut him. So they take him to the sawmill and the saw can't cut him so they throw him in the hog pen and the hog can't eat him. And then the last time he saw him, he was flying over the ocean with a long string of goslings, and they all
0: go quack. And the birds deep out. and the last time I see him, Lord, 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 flying across the ocean, Lord, 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 with a long string of goslings, Lord, 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 and they all quack, 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 Lord,
1: Lord, Lord. And it was, it was this, it, it just, I, <laughs> I kept tripping on that as a kid. You know, I was probably eight or something like that. And and here's this, I mean, really big scary voice and you know I'd look at his picture and I would think wow and I had no idea you know no they didn't sort of put it in the bio oh by the way he sung his way out of prison and oh by the way he killed a couple people and lived a really rough life and and etc and he was a you know he was a sharecropper or a slave and you know all that kind of stuff they didn't put that in there because that was you know it was seditious so but I would trip on that song because it was so fantastic. And I just see all those images of the preacher and the goose and the people and trying to cook it and trying to eat it and trying to do all this stuff. And the goose just kind of blows them all away and then just flies off into the sunset with other, God, with his children. And it's like, this is the best. I, I want to do that.
0: And they all couldn't eat it. And it broke the horse deep out. And put him in the And the saw couldn't cut him. And the saw out. So, was it. It sounds like it was a couple of things, like it was the fantastical nature of the story that kind of hooked you. But it was also this element of danger that you were attracted to, or like danger in Lead Belly's voice, or danger in Lead Belly's kind of being. Was that, Was that kind of what it was?
1: Uh, yeah, it was. <clears throat> it was as if I'd, and I'm sure people, other people will say the same thing about being attracted to a song. It's like you, you're, you're, somebody opened a door that maybe you weren't supposed to open, and you got to peek in there, and it's like, ooh, ooh, <laughs> it's dark in there. I wonder what else is in there. Probably something else that's cool that I shouldn't know. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was uh, just post, the Weavers being super popular and it was just it was just around the before the time of uh, hootenanny and and all the you know that that real jive uh, folk singer stuff on top of all smoking all covered with snow
2: I lost my true lover for cotton so slow for
1: carting's a pleasure I mean, even the Kingston Trio was, was a little bit on that side. They, they dressed them up to be very clean. They were a lot dirtier than that. But, <clears throat> yeah, it's right around that same time. And the dice were hot, so here we are In the Tijuana jail Ain't got no friends To go up bail
2: So here we'll Did you stay.
0: think that all that other folk stuff, like, did you... Did you think of it as jive when you were a kid, like the cleaner folk stuff, like kind of the, the whitened up version where you like, this is just not even, this is not it.
1: No, I mean, I, I didn't have that, uh, presence of mind, yeah. but I just, it was like, what? <laughs> you just, you just knew something was up. You knew you were being fed a line, you know, you know, you were being, yeah, yeah. So, somebody, somebody was doing mm-hmm. something and you, yeah, you didn't really buy it.
0: It wasn't quite the real thing <clears throat> and then when did you start playing music like how old were you when you started playing your own music or were you playing music when you were a little okay, kid I don't know.
1: um i mean i sang when i was a kid i sang in choirs and stuff in school um, i also loved show tunes i loved uh the pajama game and uh hey and um uh, peter pan Oh, I love that. Uh, Bye Bye Birdie, South Pacific, all those things. Um, West Side Story? Oh, West Side Story. Oh, come on. West Side Story was the best. I think I even thought of myself as a, as a jet at one point.
2: When you're a jet, you're a jet. All the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day.
1: But anyway, I think I started playing, really playing music. I took some piano lessons when I was a kid. My dad tried to teach me, and it was a complete disaster. And um, uh, I started playing music, started playing bass when I was probably 15, 14,
0: 15. Was folk music something that you kind of turned to by that time? I mean, No.
1: At that point, it was, you know, psychedelic and the Beatles and Rolling Stones and... Animals. I think the Animals and the Rolling Stones are my favorites. At that. Uh, the, but at that point, I was probably in <clears throat> fifth, fourth, fifth grade, something like that. You know, when when the British invasion came in. I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood.
0: Was there ever a time that you kind of went back to those Lead Belly records and tried to, like, feel that thing again? Feel that, like... That door opening, that darkness, anything like that?
1: Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Not, not really. I, I, I knew that I had, I got that. I knew i i I'd, I'd been there, and I got that. Um, but I think I experienced that with other music. You know, I experienced that with, uh, with the Dam. I got a feeling inside of me. It's kind of strange, like a be sea. Nick Lowe or something like going. Oh wow, I could. I could do that. Well, in the heart of the city, pretty alligate alone. I'm a little lost lamb, Ain't got no place to go. You know, Velvet Underground was, was another one. Hey, white boy, what you doing uptown? Yeah, I, th- I think you, you have to try to keep experiencing that.
0: And then when you started to make your own music, was it something that you were trying to take other, like a place you were trying to take other people to? Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's what Los Angeles was all about. We were, we, were, we wanted to put our, our flag in the ground and say <clears throat> Los Angeles, the city, or the scene, is not all about swimming pools and Farrah Fawcett and uh, the Eagles. There's actually a very, you know, big bohemian uh, dark side to this. And it's, it has to do with uh, Raymond Chandler and film noir and Charles Bukowski and The Doors and, and Charles Manson and, and, you know, just crazy shit like that. And, uh, you know, because everyone looked down on L.A. Everyone from England or New York thought, oh, well, what do you have to complain about And people were just scraping by like any place else, like any other bohemians. I mean, there was a a bohemian undercurrent going through the whole music world. You know, maybe starting with uh, the Stooges. It's an MC5. Patty Smith. Because
2: the to because the to
1: life. Because those, those three were the stepping stones into the world of Ramones.
2: I, oh, let's go. I, oh, let's go. I,
1: oh, been talking heads. After that, Sex Pistols. God, take the queen. The made you a Potential and the Clash. Things like, like that. And, and we were, you know, six months behind that. You know, so... <clears throat> um, but everyone's just ready everyone was ready and everyone didn't like going to uh, arenas and, and realize that we were being fed you know some other another line of bs and and so it was time and uh i mean by what, what i meant by opening a door for people is to call our record los angeles we, we had the song of course. She's call it that to say okay just hold on smarty pants you think you think you know everything but you don't <laughs> unfortunately the la scene the original scene never never got the uh, attention that, that we felt it deserved because it was really eclectic. It was very much like the New York scene and the, everybody had a different sound and, and there was this crazy funk, you know, punk rock like with Black Randy and the Dead again! The
2: the the
1: the the and then there was this other arty um, stuff with the screamers and the weirdos.
2: I bet all over the place. You're gonna
1: get it on your face. The germs were, were totally like a, a beautiful dark black hole. It's in this book, under the big black sun, and everybody wrote a bunch of people wrote chapters about what their experience was, and and um, it was it was uh, eye opening, you know. Oh, really? You, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Even as I'm reading it,
0: too. So, and it sounds cool. The audiobook people who write these stories actually read them, yeah. right? That which is which sounds amazing. Um, was that part of why you wanted to write this book, was to kind of shine a light on all the bands that you loved and that you kind of looked up to and hung out with who didn't make it into yeah. the national consciousness?
1: Yeah. Uh, I wrote the book because I was harangued by my friend <laughs> Tom DeSavia and my sweetheart uh, to write a book, and I didn't want to. And then I thought, <clears throat> well, the scene was very collaborative. Everybody worked together. Everybody liked each other. You know, there were spats and what have you, but everybody really uh, got along. And, and and in the collaborative spirit, I thought, well, if I'm the narrator and I write three or four, you know, 4,000, 5,000 word chapters, then I can get other people to tell their stories, and then I don't have to bear the burden. I don't have to, A, do all the work, B, you know, be the, the voice of of history, which I don't really see myself as. I can, I can see myself as a facilitator, and I like working with people. That's why Exine and I are partners in songwriting, and uh, you know, I, I work with, the, I'm pretty loyal with the people I work with, because and, and, I like that. And, and this is just a carryover in that whole um, way of working.
0: Music you're hearing is "Go Baby Go" by John Doe with, by the way, Debbie Harry from Blondie singing in the background. It's all connected, y'all. And I was so happy that that interview took us to the place that it did, from Lead Belly all the way to L.A. I mean, I hadn't heard of Black Randy or the Weirdos before John Doe started talking about them, and I love hearing about bands like that. Bands that maybe didn't make it into the national consciousness, but that influenced the bands that I love. I also really want to read Under the Big Black Sun, or maybe I'll get the audiobook because like I said in the interview, everyone who wrote a chapter, well, they read the chapter that they wrote in the audiobook. How cool is that? Before I go on, I want to ask that if you dug hearing that last story from John Doe, then please head on over to iTunes and subscribe to this song. If you do, then you'll get next week's episode with Alessia Cara and Oshun delivered right to you. Plus you can peruse our archives and listen to stories of life-changing music from folks like Mark Mothersbaugh and Butch Vig. And while you're there, we'd love a rating or a review ratings and reviews help other people find the podcast, which is the goal. We at Team This Song want as many people to hear these stories as possible. Plus, it's true, they make the whole team feel really, really good. Next up, Jeff Klein from the Austin band My Jerusalem. They have a new record out called A Little Death. It'll be out June 24th, and they're just now starting to release singles, which is exciting because I'm a fan of the band. Now, I put John Doe and Jeff Klein together because they have thematically very similar stories. But what I didn't know until like last week was that John Doe and Jeff Klein have toured together. They're friends, which considering how important collaboration is to John Doe makes me feel even better about this episode than I already did. Jeff came into KTX and told me about a song he heard as a teenager that had the same effect on him as Lead Belly did on John Doe. It gave him a glimpse behind the veil of the mainstream. So here he is, Jeff Klein.
2: I think the song that when I heard it changed the entire game for me would be uh, the song Unsatisfied by The Replacements.
1: Look in the eye, then tell me, hey.
2: on the song is like the most emotionally raw vocal delivery and I'd never heard anything like that up until that point you know I think the most emotionally charged music I had heard up until that point you know being the age that I was my this is part of my brother's record collection Uh, my brother was three years older than me and he came home from college with all these fascinating records by bands that you know didn't look like Twisted Sister and Poison and whatnot, and that's what I had been listening to at the time because of, you know, MTV and, and everything else. So when I grew up being sort of into metal and stuff, I was always actually like the not as cool kid that was more into the ballads of the metal stuff, you know? Yes. than the actual, like, rockers. But I, guess that's why they say every has I was skipping around on this record, I put it on, and uh, the first thing I heard is there's this, like, this acoustic 12-string intro to it, and I was like, oh, this is the one that's going to be my jam, because it sounds, you know, it sounds like, you know, two guys having a pillow fight already. No, but it sounds like... It sounds like, like every rose has its thumb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, yeah, pretty much so. You know, I, I put that on, and uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden, I, it's like, oh, I'm feeling feelings I've never felt before. Um, you know, a coming-of-age story. I, it just, it, I don't know, it's it, it's the whole mood of the thing from like the minor chords of the guitar going into just the super simple lyrics where it's very like personable and conversational, which is also something I hadn't really experienced before because, you know the smoking in the boys room isn't exactly like the most it's <laughs> not like we're like oh i'm i'm feeling you on that really wish i was smoke smoking in the boys room smoking
1: in the boys room teach up with a cuz everybody loud
2: as a kid you know and we're talking you know like 12 years old or whatever You're listening to music and partially you're just wanting to fit in with everyone else. And so, you know, you see all this music everywhere and and you see what other people are are listening to and you want to fit in. And you're like, oh, it's, it's like a predetermined destiny. You know, you're like, yeah, this is what I like. You know, why? I have no idea. And do I even really like it? I don't know. So I feel like, you know, when I heard The Replacements for the first time and I heard this song for the first time, it was the first time, like, I was like, you know, like, it rang true, you know, and it felt like I was like, this is what it's like to like music, or like, this is what I really like. Oh my god, you know, and and not, you know, it's like when you're in a r- r- horrible relationships forever, and then all of a sudden you're in like a good one, you're like, whoa, you know, so this is this what is it's what like.
0: This is what everybody's talking about. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah.
2: I'm not supposed to always cry in bed, no, so you know, it's uh, yeah.
0: when you were
2: 12 I've been playing I was playing music well so, so when I was a little kid I used to be in like musicals and stuff uh growing up in New York and would always audition for commercials and things like that and so I've always been around music you know and I uh, and I've always been I, I started out more like doing musical theater stuff like super young like, like seven whoa.
0: eight
2: like which also you know I don't yeah, I'm sure everyone else knows like a singing seven year old sounds horrible. Like they all do. Like everyone <laughs> thinks their seven year old kid has the greatest voice and you hear it. And you're like, oh, it sounds great for a horrible sounding seven year old. Uh, uh, but eventually, like that bloomed into like around eleven, I got a guitar. I begged my parents for a guitar. And started learning, you know, all the sweet metal ballads.
0: So you were at that point listening to mostly like, Hairbands.
2: I was just one as a as a little kid I was listening to hair bands and or, or all the way over to like I remember I had like a you know I had a a couple of kiss lps
1: Bet i hear you calling but i can't come home right now
0: Me and, the boys um, hair bands and kind of more poppy metal yeah, more
2: poppy metal but there was also like there was you know my two favorite things growing up as a little kid that I would always, you know, my, my, my family would always make me, like, they had company, they'd have me come over and sing. What I would always do in like these, you know, and what I would learn to sing when I was taking these classes was I was a huge Neil Diamond and Barry Manilow fan.
1: I am, my
2: cry, I am, said I. I grew up, a, a, I'm a Jew from upstate New York you know like and and this is what you you know that's that's what you get you get you're born you know and uh, you know they do the little snip snip of the bris and then they give you a Barry Manilow and a <laughs> Neil Diamond CD and then they push you on your way
0: so you were at the same time you were listening to all this kind of metal you were yeah, singing I was sing- Barry Manilow and listening Neil to Diamond.
2: metal yeah yeah yeah
0: singing and learning and then your brother comes home from college.
2: And he's got all these, like, Husky dudes. No Lemonhead.
1: With a little bit of common sense, you
2: can lose a lot of in this world. You can leave yourself behind. It's like all this, like, post punky stuff, and, you know, New York dolls, like, you know, which I can relate to a little bit more with the hair metal thing. Um, or at least with scarves. Yeah, and so I, so here was this thing that was like honest, like i I'd never heard music. I think that just felt so honest.
0: It sounds like it was one of your first, like, authentic. Yeah, enjoyment of music, not something that my parents want me to sing, not yeah, something that and my friends being, are listening to. Yeah.
2: And, you know, I felt, you know, I, I grew up, uh, so I grew up in a, a town called Newburgh, New York, and it's the crack capital of America per capita. Still? Uh, still. Yes. Oh, wow. And and also the um, the most violent city in New York, lots of gang stuff. And there always was. And so it's, there's there's some great online articles for reading. It's always rated as like number somewhere between seven and nine on the worst cities in America on every list. That comes oh my up. gosh! Um, not to say I'm not proud for being there. I had I had a lot of great experiences, but I also was not the norm of kid that comes from there. You know, right? Um, and so you know, like everyone else, I'm sure. You know, I felt very ostracized as a kid. I didn't feel like I had a lot of connections to things. And here's this song that I find, and it's called Unsatisfied, and it's almost like this repeating mantra of, like, look me in the eye and tell me you're satisfied, I'm so unsatisfied. I mean, there's more words, but not a ton more words, and a lot of it is so, it literally, it feels like the same thing as, like, me yelling at my parents, trying to tell them, you know that like I'm better than all this and this isn't me and I you know and, and I felt like already even at such a young age of you know whatever I was at the time 12 13 that I needed to get out of this town and do something with myself and that everything I had wasn't enough and uh you know that's also something that still sticks to this day but uh, you know but it, yeah so it, it just really felt I don't know it hit a nerve with me
0: like you were ready to hear it at that time yeah, when you're I, really seeking to like define yourself
2: yeah I, I just, you know, you get breath, you get breathless. Your fists clench, and you're like, like he's like he's singing, and I feel like it's me singing, but it's him singing. And you hear, you know, and just, you know, musically, it's uh, you know, it was a little bit more lo-fi sounding than stuff I was used to hearing, you know, at the time. Because when you're a kid, you're listening to all these big-produced records, you know, and 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 just something about it just felt like like I could reach out and touch it, and. It could make my eyes well up with tears, and it could also make me shout. like, and I, and I would literally put the song on just constantly when no one was home and just shout at the top of my lungs, singing along with it. Uh, it, but yeah, I've always, it's you know it's a song that's still to this day is like I feel like the soundtrack to my life
0: to who you kind of are. Yeah
2: so I'm Jeff and apparently I'm unsatisfied.
0: everything goes. Do you, you try to write new songs? Oh yeah, that age, too? I started
2: writing when I was yeah. Like, did you like, much were, like? Are you
0: one of those guys who like learned how to play guitar and started writing songs kind of at the same time?
2: Yeah, well, I learned to play. It's I'm. I mean, honestly, I feel like the whole replacements thing was sort of like the the jumping board to that. You know, because I, I I feel like I was like oh like. I think it was the first time I realized that like music is also not just for enjoyment of listening, but it's also for expression and, and and personal expression and so I, I was like i feel like i was like oh i i'm getting off so much on this like what if i had my own like and i and so i was like oh let me try and see if i could do this
0: so you still write a lot of music i mean you still yeah like yeah. A, a primary songwriter yeah my jerusalem and yeah um is there a part of you that's always trying to go to that place, like that authentic place that you heard that kind of turned you on when you Always,
2: yeah. Like I feel, I think honesty is really, really important in music and I feel like things being conversational and things that people can relate to are really big for me and what I look for in music. I mean, you know, don't ever be fooled for one second. Like I, I'm doing this for me. Like music is not, like I want people to connect to it 100%. But f- the main impetus of me doing it is that I'm doing it for me because I need it and I want to get off on it. I am a selfish, narcissistic nightmare of a person that really requires and thrives on expressing himself. Like I'm addicted to a, like expressing myself almost to the point where it's like I need like I really do. I feel it's like some people need you know yeah well all people need oxygen and water and I need oxygen water. And to write songs, because otherwise I don't really know how to function or how to, like, work things out.
0: Oh, wow. And do you also need to perform those songs, too?
2: I do need to perform those songs.
0: Because that's another side of the expression of it. It's like there's writing the song, and then there's, like... Oh, totally.
2: It's such a cathartic experience for me, you know.
0: And it sounds like hearing um, <laughs> Unsatisfied was the first time that you kind of recognized that in yeah. yourself. like. There was a need to perform. There was this desire to be in front of people and to sing and like all of that. But it sounds like for the when you heard that song, it was like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. This is going to provide me with something that I have been missing.
2: Yeah. And it also sort of was like, you know, it also took the shine away from things, which was great. It's like, I don't have to be like this. Songs aren't always about these fairy tale situations or they're not always like, I don't have to be this certain person like. (sighs) <sighs> you it allowed know, for,
0: you to kind of see the darkness? Yeah. Or like let I, the darkness. Yeah.
2: In? And for me, it's, it was like, I was like, ooh, this darkness is like a sweet, warm, fuzzy sweater in upstate New York in the cold of winter. Yeah. And it's still, again, I I can put that song on repeat for hours still to this day. And it still punches me in the gut.
1: It takes to live.
0: and the music you're hearing is rabbit rabbit from my jerusalem's upcoming record a little death and there's so much i dug about this interview that what got Jeff hooked into a song that changed his life was that the intro sounded like a hairband power ballad. The shout outs to Neil Diamond and Barry Manilow, and the fact that just like John Doe, Jeff had this sense that he was being, in John's words, fed a line. And the replacements, the song Unsatisfied, it totally confirmed his suspicion and helped him see that there was more to life than the one he'd been born into. I'll post a link to John Doe's book, Under the Big Black Sun, as well as to the View House video of him performing A Little Help from the KUTX South by Southwest Live at the Four Seasons Show on the This Song page at the KUTX website. And just so you know, the This Song team has created a Spotify playlist that will contain most of the songs that you hear in this episode. It lives on this episode's page at the KUTX website, and we make it because we want you to be able to hear all the songs all the way through. I'll also post a link to the SoundCloud of Rabbit Rabbit, the new single from A Little Death, which is from the new My Jerusalem Record, which comes out on June 24th, as well as to the Viewhouse videos of the band performing Born in the Belly and Sweet Chariot. Believe me, you want to witness this rock. And that's it. We have come to the end of another episode of this song. This song is a production of KTX 98.9. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Antoinette Misando is our social media guru. Thanks to Peter Babb and Deidre Gott for all their help on this podcast. And yes, it is true. Our theme song is Mahoot by Austin's own excellent hard-proof Afrobeat. You can email us at thissong at KUTX.org or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at thissongkutx. You can like us on Facebook and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, Liner Notes, Song of the Day, and the Austin Music Minute on iTunes. And like I said, we'd love a rating or a review. Right on. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Support comes from Austin Water, helping residents reduce water use while protecting Austin's precious resource during the drought conditions with MyATX Water, providing near-real-time water use data, tips, and leak alerts. More at austinwater.org.